Hello, and welcome to Pedra's Points of Discussion podcast. Season two is kicking off with a birthmarks-focused study group about the use of laser therapy to treat congenital melanocytic nevi in children. Before we begin, it's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with a qualified healthcare provider. This is episode one, background and the pros and cons of laser treatment. So at this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for this program, Dr. Elena Haraluk. Dr. Haraluk is a pediatric dermatologist at Massachusetts General Hospital and Boston Children's Hospital an associate professor of dermatology at Harvard Medical School and the faculty director of pediatric dermatology for the Harvard Combined Dermatology Residency Program. She is also the chair for PEGIS Early Investigator Committee and my partner in crime for putting together this program. I have had the pleasure of working with Dr. Haraluk over the last year and it has been a wonderful experience and I cannot wait for her to moderate this program. So at this time, I'd like to turn it over to you, Dr. Haraluk. Thanks so much, Jen. We couldn't do it without you. For our first episode today, expert guests, Dr. Rox Anderson and Dr. Yakir Levine provide a brief background on developments in the use of laser as a treatment option in children with large and giant congenital melanocytic nevi and support its use in certain circumstances. Before I introduce our two experts, let me first provide a bit of background on congenital melanocytic nevi as a framework for our discussion today. Congenital melanocytic nevi are pigmented nevi, also called moles, that present at or shortly after birth and are estimated to occur in about 1% of all newborns. They arise from a proliferation of cells called melanocytes. Congenital melanocytic nevi, abbreviated CMNs, are classified according to their projected adult sizes, which for small nevi are less than 1.5 centimeters in diameter. Medium nevi range from 1.5 to 20 centimeters in size, and large nevi are 20 to 40 centimeters in size, with the largest category being giant congenital melanocytic nevi, which are 40 centimeters or greater at adult size. These classifications are important because they're used to stratify the risk of melanoma. Studies have shown that large and giant congenital nevi have the highest risk, up to 15%, but the risk of large congenital nevi has been actually shown to be around 2% in large meta-analyses, so overall less than we previously thought. Current management options for congenital melanocytic nevi are limited. Many patients are observed and monitored clinically, and some data suggests that more than half of congenital melanocytic nevi fade in color over time, though they also tend to have significant overlying hair growth. They can become thicker or nodular, or have changes in their surface with growth of papules and bumps. Lesions that are evolving should be evaluated and focal changes should be considered for skin biopsy. There are important considerations in the management of these patients, and there are several reasons for which patients and parents might seek treatment, the largest of which is the concern for the social stigma that accompanies so many of the conditions we treat in pediatric dermatology, which are visible. 
The psychological burden of these conditions is an area of active research with PEDRA's ongoing big study. There are many approaches that have been tried for treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi, including monitoring and laser, which we'll focus on in these podcast episodes today. Additional modalities include surgical excision, and less commonly, some surface destructive techniques such as curatage, dermabrasion, chemical peels, cryotherapy, electrosurgery, and radiation. Many of these treatments leave scars or residual skin changes. Parents may inquire about the ability of treatment to reduce their child's risk of developing melanoma or associated problems. There are reports of melanoma in congenital melanocytic nevi after excision. The age of the patient at the time of treatment is also an important consideration as there's a need to balance risks such as anesthesia in an early age with the desire for the patient to remember as little of the procedure as possible. There is also a growing movement among parents today to delay some treatments and allow their children to provide input into these decisions. Now that we have a basic understanding of congenital melanocytic nevi, I would like to introduce our two expert guests. In our first episode, we will discuss the advances of laser for treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi. Dr. Rox Anderson is the director of the Wellman Center for Photomedicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, the Lancer Endowed Chair in Dermatology, Professor of Dermatology and Professor of Health Sciences and Technology at Harvard Medical School. He is also an inspirational teacher and inventor and has literally brought laser technology to use in medicine through advancements ranging from laser hair removal, treatment of capillary malformations and treatment, and photodynamic therapy for selective destruction of a variety of targets. Dr. Yakir Levine is a dermatologist and instructor at Harvard Medical School Department of Dermatology working at Massachusetts General Hospital and an investigator at the Wellman Center for Photomedicine. I'm so grateful to Dr. Levine for his compassionate care of our pediatric patients who require laser treatment. And I'm excited to have both of you here today to educate our pediatric dermatology community. Let's dive right into questions for our experts. So first for Dr. Levine, I'd love to hear what types of lasers are used in the treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi and how do you choose the most appropriate laser for each case? First, thank you very much for the invitation to be here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, in terms of the lasers that we choose to use for treatment of nevi, um, primarily we use pigment targeting lasers. Um, we're treating visible pigment in the, in the lesion. And we'll use a combination of long pulsed and short pulsed lasers that target pigment, um, most commonly the Alexandrite long pulse laser, which is also used for laser hair removal frequently, and a Q-switched or picosecond Alexandrite laser at uh, 755 nanometers. Um, there are, of course, other wavelengths that can target pigment as well, but those are the most common. In addition to that, um, a fractional ablative laser can sometimes be beneficial in ridding some of the non-pigmented portion or deeper portion of the nevus. Um, this is because the fractional ablative laser is not pigment targeting specifically. On the other hand, uh, because of the risk of ablative lasers causing um, scarring, we wouldn't want to do a fully ablative laser. So for that reason, a fractional ablative laser, uh, which is associated with a much, much lower risk of scarring, would be used for that purpose. But those would be the three types of lasers we'd primarily use. Thank you. For Dr. Anderson, who is the ideal candidate for laser 
And are there any patients in whom you particularly recommend to use a laser or avoid laser treatment? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, first off, I have to say that laser treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi, as you briefly mentioned, it's not the first line therapy, right? So um, my experience is if you have a, the shape and the position of these moles, uh, in a way that they can be surgically removed without disfiguring the child, then that is, that is often the first choice. Um, the second factor is actually the genetic background. So we mentioned there's a risk of melanoma in these lesions. Um, you really have to get a family history. Uh, to, to answer your question, Elena, you, <laughs> who's the ideal candidate? Um, it's not just about the kid or the lesion. If they have... Um, uh, strong uh, first relatives with uh, melanoma history, then it, it really pushes me toward getting rid of this thing. And you have to understand the laser treatments typically don't completely remove the lesion. So even though we know that surgery doesn't always completely remove it either, I think to err on the side of safety is, is an important thing. Um, uh, some of these, like particularly the facial lesions that you just cannot remove surgically. Um, there's a version called the kissing nevus. For example, both the upper and lower eyelid have congenital melanocytic nevus in them. You just can't take somebody's eyelids out, okay? <laughs> it's just, uh, and oftentimes those lesions will involve other structures on the face, like, you know, and, and these people suffer. Um, uh, a lot of from disfigurement. Um, if you go around your whole life with a, uh, you know, a black lesion surrounding one eye and not the other, I mean, you're, particularly you're going to be called spot by all your teenage friends who are not nice to you. So um, those are the patients that I find most sort of motivating um, from in terms of the parents being quite concerned about their social development. Um, so. Uh, no two patients are alike. Um, the other thing is, I think um, if you treat these lesions before they get hairy, my clinical experience is that once you have all this hair growing in them, which happens uh, in childhood, but gets worse a, a lot at, at puberty when the hair gets kind of turned on, um, you're better off treating them early than late. The, the patient is also smaller. So the lesion is smaller. So the amount of time and effort that go, goes into doing the laser treatment goes, goes with the size of the, of, the, uh, of the nevus. So I've treated, you know, nevi on the face. I'm much more likely to jump in because it's a bigger deal for the patient. And if it cannot be excised, you really don't have any other options that are, you know, that are useful. Um, we're very interested in developing new options. I, despite um, being well known for doing laser stuff, I, I would love to have something that works better. Um, <clears throat> many patients with laser treatment, um, as, as Yakir described, you know, you're using a couple of different lasers here and you have to be quite skillful. Uh, the, the biggest downside from the laser is scarring and um, replacing a congenital Nevis with an ugly scar doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, so um, this is not for the lighthearted. I hope I've answered your question. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. And we have more questions to come. 
I'll shift gears slightly or build upon that um, for Dr. Levine. Why do you use laser treatment when there are other management options such as monitoring or surgery? So building on the last question, in which cases would you find it more appropriate? Yes, I agree very much with what uh, Rox suggested, um, which is that when these lasers are not in uh, public space or areas which are likely to be drawn attention to by peers in childhood, um, unless they're functionally an issue, I would tend toward monitoring the lesions rather than um, using laser treatment for removal. Similarly, if it's in an area where it needs to be treated for in the interest of psychosocial development or functional impairment, um, I would prefer excision if that's an option. But like Rock said, um, lesions around the eye, the nose, if they're large enough on the cheek, um, they're not really amenable to excision and can have a huge impact psychosocially on the developing child. And so it's those treatment, it's those patients that I would consider for laser treatment with a long discussion with the parents um, about what to expect with the need for multiple treatments. Um, the fact that we usually don't completely clear the lesion and that we don't know necessarily from the outset how many treatments are gonna be required. We sort of have to take a wait and see approach by um, doing a, several treatments, um, seeing how the patient responds, how much of the nevus darkens again, before determining uh, when we've reached a point where um, further treatment won't be beneficial. Thank you, Dr. Levine. I have another question for you. Um, how do you counsel patients regarding a potential risk for melanoma? So that's a that's a very good question, and it's and it's quite fraught because mel melanoma is a tragic outcome of uh, giant and large congenital melanocytic nevi, as you mentioned. Um, in terms of counseling them about risk, many patients or parents, I should say, assume that if you're removing the, the nevus, that you're decreasing the risk of melanoma. So that is one uh, probable and almost certain misconception that I that I try to correct, and that is that um, the risk of melanoma won't decline and um, in part because melanoma arises um, in the central nervous system, or it often arises very deep in the nevus, which is an area that may not be pigmented, an area that may not be treated at all by the uh, laser anyway. Um, so I strongly emphasize that we're doing this not to decrease the child's risk of melanoma, but to uh, decrease the likelihood of them being made fun of by their peers um, and just uh, having a a positive self-image. I do want to ask a question that was submitted by Dr. Serena Tsai, who's a pediatrician from Taiwan, and this is for Dr. Anderson. Um, Dr. Tsai inquires, why is there so much laser being performed on nevi in other parts of the world, such as Asia? I understand there's a cost factor, but what else is different? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think there are multiple reasons. Uh, the Japanese led the way in the development of laser treatment for these lesions. And in part because they hate them. I mean, there's a cultural overlay. Um, what does it mean to have one of these lesions? And I don't think this is the case in modern Japan. This was started, uh, uh, Professor Ueda over there, she did the first series uh, and she used a ruby laser treating a, a few dozen, um, children with congenital nevi, and she followed them for 30 years. I was very interested in that because of, of the potential that the laser might actually trigger melanoma. You, you know, there's two sides to that coin. And none of her kids um, had any 
problem with that over a long period of time, but it's still a small number. Um, and then there was Professor Kono, who's um, still practicing at, in Tokyo. Uh, he's the one who added this combination of long pulse lasers and short lasers, all right? Um, and so the Japanese have led the way. And in part, that's the reason, in part for the question, the answer, because um, they started it, they got, you know, they got going, it became more, um, more accepted there. Um, they also have a lower, in general, risk of melanoma. The, the background genetic um, uh, makeup that, that occurs to cause melanoma is more in the Caucasian population. Um, and, and as you know, there are different types of melanoma in the African population. The in, incidence is much, much lower, but they actually get worse lesions. Um, so um, I, it's interesting, uh, we're, here we are talking about lasers, but uh, Yakir, what was the year that there was the first publication of cryotherapy for um, these lesions. I think it was 1906 or something like that. 1907 was the earliest one. I okay, found. yeah, yeah. 1907, a guy named Pusey wrote a paper saying that you could use um, dry ice. The Japanese were the only people that paid attention. And for an entire century, they treated uh, these lesions by pushing dry ice into the skin. Um, I've seen the outcome of that. It's not very pretty. Um, you, you get ulcers and depigmentation and so forth, but they were so serious about getting rid of these lesions that, you know, people were willing to undergo really a disfiguring and painful treatment for it. The laser came in far more recently in the last 30 years or so over there. Thank you. So we've gotten some great information about lasers and some considerations in the choice to pursue it. A question for Dr. Levine, I'd love to hear from you about the patient experience. Is it painful? Does it require sedation? How many sessions? And how do you counsel your patients and parents on this? Any laser treatment can involve some amount of pain. Um, when we use these long pulse pigment targeting lasers like the Alexandrite laser, that's a laser that we similarly use for laser hair removal. So many of the listening audience might have some sense of what that feels like. But in addition, we tend to use it at a higher fluence uh, when treating these nebi, so potentially more painful than that. When children are very young, let's say take another type of birthmark, a port wine birthmark, we will often treat them without general anesthesia when we're treating them with a, a vascular laser, like a pulse dye laser or a 532 nanometer laser. And they generally aren't happy when we do that. But we also know that the treatment is not particularly painful um, and the child may need some type of restraint in order to be able to conduct the treatment. When it comes to this type of laser uh, for congenital melanocytic nevi, there is objectively more pain involved and I tend to encourage treatment under general anesthesia um, in, in most cases. For very, very young patients, if, there's, if the lesion is small enough and the parent feels comfortable enough holding them still while conducting this, we could try to do a treatment without general anesthesia. But like I said, for the most part, it's under general anesthesia. And certainly once the child reaches an age where they can't be held or, or restrained in some way, um, they do need to be treated under general anesthesia. How many sessions are typically required and what is your endpoint that you're counseling towards? So that's a tough question. It's a question that I almost always asked. How many treatments is it gonna be and what percent better is it gonna get? And the answer is it's very hard to answer that question precisely. 
Um, in my experience, you do need several treatments, four or five treatments, to get a sense of how the nevus is responding um, in the sense that some nevi um, will repigment, but only repigment re over a long period of time. Some won't repigment much. And so you kind of get a sense of how the nevus is behaving by doing a series of treatments. Um, but if you look in the literature, there are studies on you know, how many treatments were optimal for achieving the best result, and you'll, you'll find different answers, but, but often it's much more than five. It's could be nine, 10, 11. Um, and sometimes that can be helpful or necessary. Um, in terms of when to stop, I advise that I generally look at how the nevus is responding over time. If we reach a plateau where we're not achieving a cumulative further benefit in the appearance of the nevus, that is, we treat it, it looks a bit better, and then repigments to some amount, and then we treat it again, and it keeps repigmenting to that amount. That would be the, the time to stop. And usually that's when the nevus is a considerable amount lighter than it was when it started. What are the risks and how do you balance risks like scarring with a desire for as few treatments as possible? Yes, yeah, so that gets back to a point Rox made uh, earlier about um, the need to have someone who has a lot of experience with this um, and can, um, uh, really see and understand the subtle endpoints that is the immediate changes that you see in the skin when you uh, pulse the skin with the laser to know when you're doing it a little too hard or a little too weakly. In terms of, you know, ideally what you want is to do it as strong as possible without causing any scarring. And with it in the hands of an expert, you generally can avoid that. That being said, even in any expert, there can be occasional scarring, but we're generally not talking about scarring the whole nevus. It might just be an area of the nevus, a small area, a small spot where there might be um, a pigmentary change or a textural change. And one advantage of that fact, again, in the hands of an expert um, where you don't have extensive scarring is that we know how to deal with those kind of scars pretty well these days. Um, fractional lasers um, are excellent for retexturing skin and decreasing the appearance of a scar. They don't have a wide, therape uh, wide therapeutic index, meaning you can easily do too little or too much, but in the hands of an expert, you can generally avoid scarring and if you do get some small amount of scarring, you can treat it well. And what's the recovery like for patients and families? That can be a, a tough question because um, often the, the patients are young, very young children who have uh, painful treatment and um, aren't very happy as they recover. Uh, usually with these treatments, there is epidermal disruption, um, even if you're not using an ablative laser, and it is painful upon recovery. Uh, the, the pain may be actually worse for the parents who are um, working with their children to, to address the pain. Generally speaking, we will use um, uh, a topical anesthetic such as EMLA to provide some uh, relief of the pain, um, as well as um, you know, oral, oral pain medications like Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever might be recommended by the child pediatrician. And in most instances, the, the family um, is very tolerant and the child is very tolerant for those children who are old enough to voice their opinions about it. Most of them choose to continue treatment. One more question along this line. Um, you have a lot of experience treating children with lasers, not just pigmented lesions, but also vascular birthmarks. And so could you talk a little bit about the um, experience as many pediatric dermatologists are very familiar with the pulse dye laser for capillary malformations and how that might compare to laser treatment for nevi? It, it, there are certain similarities. In both cases, we're talking about doing treat, treatments, often requiring many, many applications of the treatment in order to achieve benefit. Um, in the case of vascular lesions, we are overall better at treating them. Um, if we start early enough, there's a good chance we can actually completely clear a lesion. Maybe when I say good, maybe about 50%. And even when we don't clear it, or if we start late, in, 
late so that we don't have a good chance of treating it, we can permanently lighten the lesion, but even then it's after many treatments. Um, the results of treating a congenital monocytic nevus are also achieved after many treatments um, and also do not always, rarely actually uh, completely remove uh, the pigmentation of the nevus. Um, that being said, there are important differences. The, these nevi do tend to repigment and even after multiple treatments, we might be able to get them to repigment to the point where they're much less visible or much less disfiguring. Um, whereas the uh, vascular lesions, which also do recover, uh, don't seem to recover quite as much. So I would say that the congenital monocytic nevus treatment is more painful, probably requires more treatment, and generally not as successful as the vascular lesion treatment. Um, but that being said, there usually is significant improvement. Dr. Anderson, it would be grateful to, uh, we'd be so grateful for your thoughts on the cost of laser therapy and how this compares to other options and how we should be looking at this in our therapeutic toolbox when considering our options for our patients? Yeah, great question. So uh, unfortunately, when you have to do uh, general anesthesia, that's the cost. Um, the, the lasers themselves, although expensive devices, they have many other uses. And so in the hands of somebody that does this for clinical purposes, they don't need to go out and buy a special laser for treating congenital melanocytic nevi. Um, and uh, I'm a fan, if the lesion is small enough and the child is tolerant to do this under a local injection anesthesia, um, I have a whole bag of tricks that range from hypnosis to uh, <laughs> tissue cooling and everything else to, to stay out of the OR and not scare the tar out of a out of a wonderful innocent child, um, but sometimes you just have no choice. So um, in Boston, an operating room costs around $2,500 to $4,000 an hour, no matter what you do in it. And typically these cases will take an hour or something like that. So um, in this country, the, uh, you know, the insurance uh, coverage for these uh, is, is often, it is often covered, but you need as a physician to say, look, this is a, not just a cosmetic problem. This is a psychological challenge. This is a lifelong, um, life altering skin lesion. And, uh, so, you know, small lesions, not on the face, that's where you just watch them. Um, so, uh, I, I, I have to say a little bit about, you know, your cure was just mentioning, uh, if you're going to do this, you really almost join the family. Um, the, the parents are the ones making the decisions. They, you, you need to have a therapeutic alliance with both them and your patient, no matter what age that kid is. And they need to understand that you, while you can improve it, you can't magically make it go away. The, the laser is not an eraser. Uh, and and unfortunately, there's some like popular misunderstanding of that. So my, my two bits is just to say that there's a lot of education that goes on. And uh, this is not for everyone. I found myself often recommending surgical excision. If you really sit down with the parents, you understand what their goals are, what, what is the uh, you know, overall story for that patient. Um, then you go to your sort of list of options, your menu of options, um, and uh, do the best you can. Thank you. And while we're here to talk about laser today, um, we want to take advantage of our experts and please ask you to tell us more about the research that's going on um, 
regarding other treatment opportunities for congenital nevi, either with laser or other new exciting technologies, if you're willing to share? Well, I, th I think this is one of the uh, really worth solving problems. It, this problem is worth solving. Uh, these things are never going to go away, and our current treatment armamentarium is very limited. So you can you can take two steps back and say, well, what are these things? All right, there's there's um, a pathway uh, called NRAS. This is um, these lesions are addicted to uh, sort of a growth um, cycle that's driven by those that genetic pathway. And there are new drugs that are um, in the pipeline, so to speak, often for cancers. Um, one of the huge problems is like, okay, how am I am I really going to give those to a a baby? you know, or, or a young child, they often the drug therapies are worth it if you have a life-threatening cancer and, and the side effects are really not worth it for a lesion that doesn't kill you. Um, however, having said that, there may be local ways that, that that molecular understanding of what these lesions are could be done. Um, I think there's still room for improvement of the laser stuff. It's interesting that um, when you do treat these lesions with laser um, and you do it right, the results are truly remarkable. Um, it often takes a lot of effort. You're looking at a dozen treatments over time. Um, and I think we can Im improve that substantially. Some of the issues with the laser are using wavelengths that penetrate to the full depth of the lesion and the timing of them and so forth. Um, so here we are talking about lasers. They're, you know, I think there's that. And then I'll, I'll let Yakir speak to the other. I mean, I think there's a good opportunity potentially to use cryotherapy where you basically freeze the skin. We have known for years that melanocytes are more sensitive to freeze injury than other skin cells. In fact, among the cells in your skin, the melanocyte is the most sensitive cell um, at a very specific temperature range. Um, and so you may have heard about this removing fat from your body with coal. That, that came from my lab, okay? The, the, the fat cells are even more sensitive, right? So, but you, there are ways you can use the cooling, I think, to do that. And that is a relatively understudied um, thing. I mentioned that over a hundred years ago was the first report of that. But as an entire century went by with relatively little uh, research to amplify that. And Jakir, do you have some comments? I don't want to hog the stage here. No, no, no. I, I agree that uh, cooling or controlled cooling is a is an area that's ripe for investigation. Um, you're certainly right that there hasn't been a lot of sy systematic investigation of this in melanocytes. Uh, in fact, the, the dermatology resident might see something in the in their textbook saying that melanocytes uh, are killed at a certain temperature, minus seven, minus eight, whereas a keratinocyte requires minus 20 or so. That doesn't even acknowledge the fact that we're not even, doesn't even indicate how much time it has to be held at that temperature in order to kill the cell. Um, so very little work has been done. There have been more recent publications, and these are generally case series and very few in number, but showing remarkably good um, uh, improvement in appearance of facial nevi uh, with a series of cooling treatments. Um, the, imp it, the improvement may not be complete, meaning there may be some uh, residual nevus. In some cases that are published, at least, uh, you, don't, you don't see any residual nevus. 
Um, it may be the case that they're only showing their best cases. Uh, but even if the improvement isn't complete, and even if it were only as good as what we can do with lasers, it does seem to be possible to achieve that with many fewer treatments. So I do believe that that is an area that's very worth uh, exploring and is not doesn't require a lot of high tech to do it. Um, there are many ways to achieve cold temperatures that uh, don't require expensive machines. How exciting. Thank you both for your efforts on this topic. This brings us to the end of episode one. Thank you so much to Dr. Anderson and Dr. Levine for these insights. And we look forward to your upcoming answers to questions from our live studio audience. Please listen to episode two to hear from Dr. Alona Frieden about the benefits of non-interventional care for congenital melanocytic nevi patients. Thank you for tuning into episode one. And thank you to our trainee studio audience and to our guest speakers, Dr. Rox Anderson and Dr. Yakira Levine, and our moderator, Dr. Elena Harlech. Hit play now to hear Dr. Alona Frieden in episode two talk about the benefits of non-interventional care in the treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi. If you have an interest in participating in our live studio audience recordings, please contact us at info at